This is Women in STEM Career and Confidence, the podcast for scientific and professional women who want to restore confidence, make meaningful impact, and balance the things and people that mean most to them. I'm Dr. Hannah Roberts, and I'll be sharing with you insights and inspiration into the mindset and skill set to help you navigate your career and lead powerfully. Welcome to the show today, and I'm so excited to share our guest with you. It's Ella Potmore. She is IET Young Woman Engineer of the Year 2020, Fault Analysis Engineer at McLaren Automotive. And can I just say an all-round actually amazing human being? The parallel she draws in this episode between leadership and extracurricular activities are so deeply insightful. And she also talks about being not just the only woman in the room, but sometimes the only person of that specific discipline in the room on top of that. And I can't wait for you to hear what she has to say. So let's dig in. So a huge warm welcome to Ella Podmore, who is joining us today for Women in STEM Career and Confidence Inspiring Stories. Really excited because I have some super questions lined up for you today. So I'd love it if you could start by introducing yourself to everybody. Thanks, Hannah. So yes, my name is Ella Podmore. I am a materials engineer working for luxury supercar brand, McLaren Automotive. And I was really fortunate enough to win Young Women Engineer of the Year 2020. So I'm here for all things STEM. I'm here for motorsports and uh, and yeah, just to chat about career progression in science is what I love talking about. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm so happy you're here. But also, I need to make you aware about my middle name. So I don't know if you spotted um, in my social media, my middle name is Nike or Nikki. (laughs) I did see that, yeah. Okay, so um, the confession here is that my dad wanted to name me after Nikki Lauda, the racing car driver. But he actually spelled it incorrect because I think that one's N-I-K-I, if I'm right. It is, yeah. I ended up N-I-K-E, the um, goddess of victory instead. So... (laughs) Um, I have a little kind of uh, link to motor car racing, but not in a, not in a proper way. In a I love that. <laughs> I love that. Not only a link to F1, but also to the goddess of victory. I mean, who wouldn't want that? That's lovely. Oh, so much to live, live up to though. Yeah. <laughs> the name. <laughs> um, wonderful. So, I have so much to ask you today, but I'd love to start with how did it all start out? What has been your career pathway in particular? What got you interested in the first place? It's a good question. And I think we can all draw parallels or or where passion started all the way back to childhood, right? And mine was no different. Um, I was really fortunate enough that I grew up in a family that I kind of knew what an engineer did from a very young age. And that came from my dad, who was very interested in cars and he was what we would call a tinkerer, I guess. But he never went on to university. He left school quite young and um, became an entrepreneur. He was like tinkering with machinery. And that kind of instilled quite an inquisitive mindset with myself and my brothers. It was very 
often that we would be around the dinner table, passing around bits or mechanisms, how did that get together? And the washing machine was apart and what's actually inside there? And it was, yeah, it instilled a really logical thought process inside me. I, I wanted to know why things were put together and um, how it worked. But for me, it wasn't necessarily, um, and I like to talk about this because I do think there are loads of stereotypes associated with engineering. It wasn't necessarily me sort of getting my hands dirty and sort of taking things apart. I just thought like that. I knew that it, when I looked at something, I was like, how, how does that work? And what's it made from? And I never took things apart myself. It just instilled that mindset. And when I went to school, I sort of built that into the science classes, the maths classes, and it's just when you start to learn how to apply what you're, you're being learned and you can use that logical thought process, to me that from the age of about 14 to 15, I was like, I actually want to be an engineer, I want to problem solve, I want to figure out how things are putting together, I want to improve things and contribute to something more than, than just the classroom, I want to contribute to industry, for instance. And like I said, it, it was lucky that I knew what that was at an early age because engineering isn't taught in schools. It's not something that we, we grow up saying, oh, I know exactly what that is. And you have to try and figure that out before you go to university. So for me, knew I wanted to be an engineer, but then also at school, I developed this passion for chemistry. And it kind of goes back to that when I was saying I was thinking about things and the, the logical thought process behind something, but not necessarily taking it apart myself. When I learned about chemistry and it was all the theoretics behind atoms and matter and you could look down a microscope and you see that the tiniest, tiniest little changes of a cell, for instance, and how that can change DNA or how can that can change the uh, huge scale things when you take it out to the bulk structure of what a material is and so that kind of took me down two paths of engineering but chemistry involved and engineering as well so with the, the career help at my school it took me down materials engineering chemical engineering and much like I encourage the majority of the students today you have to get out there and see what is what and use the resources that are at our disposal now online and things like that and I basically fell in love with materials engineering and I went on to study a master's of that at Manchester. Oh wow um oh goodness because I was also at Manchester probably not at the same era as you. That's um, brilliant I didn't know you were Manchester as well that's great. Probably maybe way before you were that. Um, <laughs> I have some questions because I love this idea that you weren't the messy kind of um, engineer and scientist. It was this thought process, this logical thought process. In my head, it's like a really clean linear pathway and you haven't got all the mess going on in your head doing that, but it may not be true. So I just want to check in with you. If I was to give you an IKEA flat pack, would you be the person who logically reads all the instructions and puts it together? Or are you the person that just sort of knows how, like, just will just try and have a go and hope <laughs> it all works out? I love that question. I am a layer outer, a planner, um, everything. So I will, yes, the instructions will come out, but I'll make sure that I can see everything first and it's laid out in an order. And then I'll read the instructions, I think. So it would, it's really frustrating for my partner as well, <laughs> because he <laughs> will just just to get involved as quickly as possible. But 
for me, it's all in the planning. And I don't know whether that's a materials engineering trait, an engineering trait, or that's just me, myself and I. But um, I do like to have things planned. So scheduling things and deadlines are met and stuff like that. And that does translate to IKEA flat pack. <laughs> Wowzers. Um, me and you would have a race um, at IKEA flat pack and you would win because I would give up after 30 seconds and no, be like, no, I no. can't do it because it doesn't just work without reading the instructions. Um, a little bit the same way with chemistry. So I was very much... Um, I wanted everything to explode and to set stuff on fire. And it sounds like all yours is nicely happening in your brain. I love that. Um, <laughs> you mentioned there that your dad was had this analytical and engineering kind of mindset, this tinkerer, sometimes we call it actually the archetypal mechanic mm-hmm. as well. Um, but also that he didn't go to university. So were you a first generation university goer? Yes, I was actually, I was, which um, I don't know, kind of unusual, I guess, but it it was, uh, yeah, it was an honour sort of to go to university and my parents obviously went off and did incredible things themselves, which I learned huge amounts from. My mum was in journalism and my dad being um, an entrepreneur slash, I guess, mechanic as well. So I learned a lot of things from the creativity side of things and the way that like I don't know I socialize or the way that I conduct myself in professional environments both from them but yeah I was the first one at at uni for after them (laughs) I don't know because it was the same for me going forwards you don't really see that as a barrier of any kind of way because you're just at university and doing the thing like everybody else but having the perspective you have now and looking back, is there anything that you see could have happened differently had you had that insider kind of knowledge and navigation that people have once they've been to university? Oh, that's a really good question. I actually think it's, uh, I think it allowed me to approach university with a fresher, more, I don't know, out there attitude. I had friends, of course, who did have parents who went through university. And even though it would have been some some form of help them having gone through the process, I think quite often what I found is that my friends, because, of course, university is a very different place to when their parents went went, uh, through the process to what they were going through as well. But quite often they would say, oh, no, the best thing to do is to decide on your course then and um, to change these exams. You know, they had like quite a traditional way of thinking of what the best way to do it was. Whereas for me, I wanted to try everything. And I think that was a good indication when I applied to Manchester. And when you do have uh, certain stigmatisms about certain universities, or you've got to try and aim for these top level universities, I wanted to do something that was totally suited to my course. And I also wanted to do something like an industrial placement year. And I had friends on that same course who said, no, that's not the way you want to do it. Um, My parents would have gone through the university degree as quickly as they can to get a job at the end of it, for instance. However, if I had listened to them, I would have completely missed out on the internship that I did with McLaren, which was one of the foundations of my career pathway. It was the most incredible experience. And I learned so much from that. 
And uh, yeah, I guess if I didn't have someone who'd done it before, or this is the best way sort of thing, I wouldn't have gone for what I was really passionate about or what kind of drew me to the experience in the first place. So I actually think it was a really good thing. I like the outlook and the fact that experiences do change over time. So just because we've had an experience doesn't mean the people coming through are having the same experience, especially now for people who are in university who are paying nearly £10,000 here in the UK to, to do a year's worth of study. That's a very different position to if it was free or if it was £1,000 to study a course, it puts a different set of requirements and pressures on a person. Exactly, exactly. And we always say you've got to do what you love. Um, but when you do have those pressures behind it, maybe it will influence decisions. And I was really fortunate enough in the sense that... Um, I was the first one doing it. <laughs> I didn't, you know, I went for it. And um, all the experiences that I learned along the way, both from a, a degree point of view, but also extracurricular point of view, which is something that I, we will go on to discuss, but the sporting element that I threw myself into university and I probably wouldn't have done if, um, if someone told me that it was a better way to do something else, something like that. So the whole package um, I really took away and I learned so much from. Oh, that's wonderful. And yes, I'm itching to ask you about um, extracurricular because I'm a big swimmer myself. But before you do, I have to ask you about the internship because obviously you did an internship at McLaren and now you're working at McLaren at quite a high level and so for you when I think of internships sometimes I think oh they're probably just getting them in and getting them to do stuff that no one else wants to do or a rubbish little project and what do you actually what do they actually really get in a year's worth of work mm -hmm. so convert me tell me what actually happens in an internship absolutely so I am such a firm believer about internships and my pathway into one was very different now I mentioned previously that I picked a degree choice that allowed me to do an industrial placement year. And this is basically 12 months that you get to take away from your degree and you get to work in a company and you can apply what you've learned so far, but also you get to do projects for that company, gain an understanding of how things worked and you can take potentially take away what you've learned um, back to complete your master's or your bachelor's, whatever it may be. Now, at the time, I was applying to loads of different companies. It's like when you apply for a job, you know, you send out so many applications. And it is a funny story. It was in my bedroom at the time. And cars is something that had always fascinated me. I used to watch them on Top Gear. And, you know, I love the glamour element of it. But it, I was never sort of set out to work for cars. I knew that I wanted to fix problems. Um, I had a buzz for material to science, technology. Um, and I had a big picture of McLaren P1 on my bedroom wall. And it was my favorite car ever. I just thought it looked gorgeous. And it was just British manufacturing, British engineering. And uh, I looked up at the post and I was like, why don't I apply to McLaren? Like they didn't have anything online, but why don't I do that? And I was just in such a, you know, you're in a trance, aren't you, when you're sort of writing out all these cover letters and you're just churning them all out. And I churned out this letter to McLaren and waffled on about how much I was inspired by um, Formula One and the cars. And I think it's so much more than just function. It was like beauty and design all wrapped into the same engineering uh, ribbon. 
So I sent that off with my CV and I didn't hear back for months. And I was just about to accept another internship, which was all done through the formalized online forms and stuff. And uh, McLaren called me up and they said, actually, would like to invite you down for an interview. And did the interview sort of managed to convince them that they hadn't had a materials engineer before, but I had a very like logical approach to problems that I think we could both benefit from. And hopefully I can sort of make some material choices or, um, you know, process some material data for their benefit. And at the end of the internship, I took away a thesis topic to finish my master's on. Now, this for me is the key. So anyone who's in that debate or listening to this and thinking, God, I really need to do an industrial placement year. If you have a dream to work for industry, if you have an idea, a project, whatever it may be, if you're able to work for a company and gain an insight into how that company works, how it ticks, what their little problems are and what they don't have time or energy to invest into research and development. I took away a topic like that for McLaren and basically made them a deal. If I came up with a solution for this, then they would offer me a job. And that's how it went. And I was the first materials engineer here um, but it just shows you if, you if you don't ask, you don't get. And I know it was kind of a, a lucky coincidence that the stars aligned. And they, they needed a materials engineer or didn't realise they needed a materials engineer. But um, when I speak to students who are looking to apply for these kind of things, you've just really got to go for it. If you are passionate about a company and they don't have an offer or a, an opening online through the, the system, why not send a letter? You've got nothing to lose. And that's what happened. And that, Four years later, here I am. Um, I do feel like having heard that part of your story that you definitely had some universal nudges along <laughs> yeah. the way, you know, the having it on your wall and then almost accepting another offer and bang, McLaren, uh, get back to you. And I love how you took charge of that situation and kind of said, you know, if I give you this, will you give me this in return? Because a lot of the time we can be quite passive in our career development and in our career sort of choices and let things unconsciously unfold or what's available to me right here, right now with my qualifications and skill set, as opposed to actually designing the steps that we want to take. So now that you're here at McLaren, what is it that you do right now for them? So I still, to my materials engineering roots, I basically... I'm responsible for all material related investigations at the company and I'm situated in the fault analysis division so things coming off from test tracks or development vehicles we want to see how the materials are performing surface treatments bespoke personalizations with colors and fabrics and stuff like that I uh, I sort of run tests on that make sure that whatever the car is, whether it is a customized spec or whether it is wanting to break um, the speed record around a particular track, whatever it is, that our materials on the car are going to perform up to that scratch. And I spend probably about 40% of my time in the laboratory actually doing experiments and putting materials through their paces and mechanical performance tests and stuff like that. And then the other 60% of my time would be presenting back to the other engineering divisions in the company. So whether it be the chassis team, the electronics team, it's 
wonderful in the sense that I get to work right at the design phase. So when people are wanting to spec materials, we want to make this four kilos lighter, Ella, what choice do we have? Um, right through, all the way through product development, through to the customer cars and field. So if customers are having issues, they want to change something, they want to make it lighter, look better, then I'm involved in those conversations as well. So I have a fabulous stretch across the entire product. It means I'm very busy. <laughs> But I have a fabulous stretch um, and I absolutely love it. It's a wonderfully unique opportunity that I have here that I'm mixing science with technology, producing cars that I genuinely believe in are some of the greatest cars in the world. So very lucky. <laughs> oh, I can really hear that in your voice as well. Really hear that. And how did they not know they needed a material scientist? Who knew? <laughs> An engineer. Um, on that front, because both of us have been to Manchester University, the home of graphene. So I just have to ask, do you use graphene in the work that you're doing at all? I love that you've asked that, Hannah. <laughs> I <laughs> love that because honestly, I do so many of these and people I have to I have to be the one sort of explaining what graphene is. And I am so passionate about graphene, obviously coming from Manchester as well. Um, so graphene is this wonderful super material that hasn't really um, got out there just yet because we can't make it stable in a huge bulk sense. Um, we do use graphene in various areas that you probably wouldn't expect. So in composites, that kind of thing, when we have little flakes of graphene suspended in a polymer, it gives us unique um, strength properties. Um, but what we're really wanting to push towards is the, the isolation of its conductive properties. So yes, it is in areas of the vehicle, but we want to take it further. That's so cool. I was traveling last weekend and I was away for three nights and I always take my special Simba pillow with me and mm -hmm. I left it on the bed. And when I got home, I had no pillow. So this week I went out to buy a pillow and they were really proud when they told me that it contains graphene, this pillow that I bought. Oh, wow. I bought it yeah. And um, it must, it has a liquid inside of it. So I'm thinking it must have like, um, as you said, um particles or whatever it is of graphene to keep your head cool when it gets yes dirty. suspension of graphene probably yeah. that's yeah yes i love it <laughs> i'd like my old pillow back then um oh. so um i'm just like the princess and the pea when it comes to pillows so it's nothing against my graphene pillow that my son has now got i just have a very set spec specification shall we say <laughs> Um, <laughs> excellent so before we were also talking about you as a whole person not just you at work and you did mention that outside of work um you have lots of other passions as well so tell me what what you like to do yes so I am big into STEM obviously so I am very passionate about going to school, speaking at events, public speaking is something that I have sort of really come to love kind of before my uh, career at McLaren, but something that's kind of gone really well hand in hand. But to me, one of my biggest loves, and I want 
to sort of talk about this more because students listening often get to a stage where they feel like they've got to pick between studying, focusing, making exam choices, whatever stage of life you are really. And you feel like maybe a hobby or an extracurricular activity can sort of give way to, to you fulfilling your career goal or personal goal, whatever it may be. However, I don't think this is the case. I have been an avid sportswoman for God, ever since I can remember really throughout school. And the thing throughout school, throughout university as well, I ran Manchester Netball up there. And um, for me, the parallels that I can draw now between the sport and the, the business and the being a part of a, a team like McLaren is obviously quite I can reflect on it and say, yes, I can draw parallels now. However, what I really like to sort of demonstrate and broadcast to all the listeners as well is that when I was being interviewed for McLaren or when I was um, going through assessment centres or even in the panel deciding for the IUT Young Women Engineer of the Year, they kept picking up on various leadership roles that I had in sport. And McLaren was the first one to do that when I was being interviewed for that internship first time round. They saw that I was running Manchester Netball and they kept on asking, forget all the technical questions, how I had to analyze a drive shaft and think about where all the things were on the car. They kept on asking me about situational judgment questions of me being president of Manchester Netball. So say your team had a, a player down and you had to go towards a match. How do you boost morale? Or if you, how did you settle a conflict in the team? And I thought that was so odd. Sport had been a stress relief for me. I continued it throughout school and throughout university. Again, important point, guys, that you've always got to have a form of stress relief, no matter how big it gets into your, your career and your exam choices as well. So netball, tennis, running, whatever it was, that was for me. But they kept on making these parallels. And when I came to McLaren and I was sort of positioned in these, um, these teams, it became very apparent why they were asking those questions. And that's kind of something that I really like to build on teamwork, the discipline, even subconscious things that you don't realize you're doing when you're part of a team or if you're learning a musical instrument or you're creative, you like to, to paint and things like that. These extracurricular activities develop skills that become so crucial. And these are the kind of things that you can't teach in a classroom as well. So I always encourage people to carry on with their extracurricular activities for a stress relief, but also for the soft skills that end up being the most important skills <laughs> when you're in the workplace. Yeah, I hadn't thought about it that way before, actually. I've always thought about sports as being my own personal creative space and a mm. place where I process thoughts, emotions, like an emotional hygiene, as well as increasing vitality and levels of motivation and fitness and like you said there's so much rigor and discipline in sports so much leadership capacity whether that's you as a leader or you in working with and through side by side along with other people and um, I absolutely love that parallel so thank you so much for sharing that with us that was really great and you also mentioned before you actually started at McLaren that you had started to do more public speaking so have you always had because you're talking now it's a real confident way of coming across and communicating with people I'm really um, enjoying how you're talking so 
have you always been like that? Oh, well, firstly, thank you. <laughs> That's really sweet. Um, I can remember being in school and enjoying speaking to the class and enjoying sort of um, not being the centre of attention, but <laughs> kind of almost being like um, telling stories or making people engage or explaining stuff to people. I really had, I enjoyed saying chemistry class, for instance, because that's what I loved. Um, if people were asking me questions that they're stuck on something, I really enjoyed talking something through with my friends and seeing them realize or come to an answer themselves. I really loved that. And I didn't really isolate the idea that that was public speaking or that was an element of it when I was that young. I came to McLaren and probably more the, the second time round when I was officially materials engineer at this stage. And I found myself in, of course, quite often the only female in the room, which I'm sure we'll get onto that in a bit, but also being the only materials engineer in the company. So being the only one of that technical craft meant that you had to fight your corner a lot and you had to probably lead a technical review in front of a room of many, many people who have been there for many years and trying to hold your own in that environment was very, very tough. Um, and it was a really steep learning curve for me. And I remember when I was an intern here and I was sort of starting to get to grips with the automotive industry, starting to get to grips of what I thought a person had to be like or how they had to act like in order to fit into a, a performance car market or a flashy car market or you know to get your voice heard here and I thought I had to be a really tough masculine version of myself and of course that lasted a few months until they saw straight through it <laughs> because it's ruthless right and I learned very quickly that I had to sort of be myself and embrace your own individual being because that's how people you gain respect in people and they can sort of people understand you know the the psychology psychology behind each individual and so they can suss that out pretty quickly but being in control of technical reviews or trying to get people on your side when you're the only person who's speaking that material science language was very difficult however from that I ran many different courses at McLaren that were through lots of my specialties like corrosion science chemistry or surface finishing um coatings for instance I run sort of courses on that for engineers here and I found that that was a really useful way to build my public speaking and I sort of when people do ask me about how they can get into it or how they can boost their skills in it for instance I found that teaching or in a situation where you know more than the audience it sort of gives you a little confidence and you're like okay no I can tell you how to do this and it builds your confidence in that way and I've done a lot of speeches at schools and things and the students is a similar way and from that the confidence came and so when it came to teaching engineers here who are more experienced than me older than me mostly all male as well um and then because I had that foundation I found it a lot easier don't get me wrong it's still really tough but now I do hopefully think that I've got a level of confidence that I could be comfortable in most situations in sort of my career or in my materials engineering division um, where I can sort of host large discussions like that. And that's such a great tip actually because um, when we um, sort of read something we're learning, when we implement it 
we're learning at a deeper level but when we have to teach someone else that's when it really hits home mm-hmm. and like I said that can breed so much confidence to know it at that deeper kind of level now for me the bit that's really standing out for me is this um masculine version of yourself that showed up when you had to um when you had to be in the room around all other men you're the only person only woman in the room for a start and then you're also the only person of your discipline in that room as well so tell me a little bit about what's masculine version of you what does that look like (laughs) well that kind of made an appearance when I was doing that internship so very young girl out of university hadn't had a proper job yet you know this was my first experience in a working environment and I was feeding off other people how can I make a name for myself how can I do well I love this company I want to come back like how can I prove myself and without sort of understanding myself too well anyway I was young I was sort of really being quite shouty or um, aggressive in my demeanor and when I was running meetings or trying to find solutions and it was like quite a harsh um, uh, yeah aggressive shouty version of myself I guess and that's kind of the image that I thought I had to uphold in order to get the the results that I needed to have my voice heard in this business um, but it wasn't until sort of understanding that actually people can see through that and the, the what the biggest way that you're going to get respect in a company is by making you the most individual person so being true to yourself basically and um it was in that internship that I discovered that and I it was it was difficult because in the environment that I was in you know you you are sort of finding yourself as the only woman in the room for a lot of periods of time and I think I had to sort of really (laughs) take a rain check and be like okay right so I'm going to have to really focus on myself because there aren't many like role models here that I could base myself on. Um, And it was only when I started to find my feet as an individual that I realized, actually, I could be the best engineer that I can be myself. And then that would come come across in my work. And then only from being myself and making decisions based on the knowledge that I've learned at university and not sort of trying to replicate any other person that I found that people started to gain respect and when that respect came I was able to make those changes that I wanted to do from a materials perspective and of course when they came through and more people were listening it sort of snowballed from there but it all it's a it's a big tough personal lesson I really do think so and I'm, I'm glad that I was exposed to an environment like that because I feel like I had it I had that experience a lot younger um, and I learned quicker. Of course, I'm still learning now, don't get me wrong, but um, it was, uh, yeah, a learning curve. Wow. I am glad you learned that so young. It's not something that I learned so young. (laughs) (laughs) We often find that the paradigms, the cultural paradigms, both, um, I guess, in the workplace, you know, you found yourself, um, it's just basically full of men everywhere. So there's that kind of paradigm, but there's also the cultural paradigm we sit in, in whatever country you're in, the personal paradigm that you grew up in and what the kind of expectations were for women in in your families as well. All of those kind of culminate. And sometimes when we hit that environment, like you said, you came in as an intern and how how do I behave in an environment like this? That's when we can often see our masculine selves 
come to the forefront. And as you said, it is a very aggressive approach to life. Mm-hmm. And what we can find, you, I mean, you beautifully described how people saw straight through it. It wasn't effective and that you were able to actually step back and I guess access your vulnerability to show up a little bit more as who you actually are. Um, but this can over time, say you stayed in masculine mode for, I don't know, two years longer, it mm-hmm. gets get some massive health implications that's when we can start to see you know burnout bouts of burnout because we're in our adrenal system all the time when we're doing it like using yes. up the testosterone you know to be the aggressive version of ourselves once that's used up we're in adrenal and cortisol access to fuel that kind of activity and that's what I did for many years until I learned the lesson so I'm glad that you learned your lesson earlier um so that was, that was really amazing. Thank you for sharing that. And I want you to think about where you are now in your position. And if you could go back to, let's say, the version of you just starting out at university, what would you go back and whisper in your ear? Ooh, good question. Good, good question. Um, I mean, we talked about, just then, talked about finding your individuality. So finding what makes you tick. Um, I think I would definitely have some words of wisdom to sort of like, just be yourself, girl. Like, don't worry. (laughs) If you want to have painted nails and you want to turn up to lab (laughs) in bright, long pink nails, that's absolutely fine. You know, don't fit into stereotypes because you think that's going to make you do better at that job. Um, so I, of course I'd have I'd something to say about that from a personal point of view, but also I think, and I know this is cliche, but do not worry to make mistakes. The environment that we put ourselves through in terms of university exams, trying to make the right decision from a very young age, actually you learn so much more from making mistakes and how you deal with them, how you get back up. And I know that's a really, really cheesy thing to say, but I think it's so important. And I did hold myself to accountable to mistakes that I made. And I was so angry when I couldn't get top marks. And it was a lot of pressure that I put on myself. And I know it's really easy to say, oh, don't worry about that. But actually you learn so much more. And it's it's kind of, I know this sounds weird, but like having that, resilience or that um attitude to pick yourself back up I think that is such like a a muscle that we should just describe it as and if we're not using that and we're not using our pick back up attitude or resilience and we'll get through it sort of attitude then if you're not exercising that from a young age then when you do get yourself in a situation and it will happen in your career if uh something terrible happens at work god forbid or if um you're in a a tricky situation and you're not used to picking yourself back up in it because you haven't been exercising that that attitude in yourself then um it can be a lot worse so don't be afraid to make those mistakes um that's definitely something I would say to younger Ella perfect I call it the bounce back ability like yes like Tigger bouncing back on his tail (laughs) it's so important though I love that I'm gonna use that (laughs) is and I think for me what I'm taking out of this conversation that's landed for me today is don't be afraid to go and ask ask for the things that you desire ask for the things that you want 
and ask for the things that you also need. So I want to thank you for that. It's landed landed for me at a whole new level. So that's wonderful. <laughs> so thank you so much, Ella, for being on the show today. I have loved having you as a guest. And I picture you still with having that, um, the car on the wall. You probably don't <laughs> have it in your bedroom anymore, but in my <laughs> head, you still got that there, um, that universal nudge that you've got. So thank you for being here today. Oh, Hannah, it was an absolute pleasure. I'm uh, really honored to be here and for having such a brilliant conversation. Um, yeah, thank you so much for having me on. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to Women in STEM Career and Confidence. To get further support in your journey, join me in Breakthrough Unleashed on Facebook.